everybody. Welcome to your church family. Those of you in this house tonight, good evening to you all. We've had the prettiest days this week. It's just been so beautiful, such a beautiful autumn in Kentucky, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be in uh, the house of God for worship today. Open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Psalm 90 is where we are tonight. Uh, again, just a standalone message, not a series yet. I begin a series next Sunday morning, November 1st, a new series entitled One Blood, talking about uh, faith and race, race and the gospel. That's an important series that I didn't come into this year planning to, uh, to bring, but it's a series that the Lord has laid on my heart. Nonetheless, I'm looking forward to preaching those with you, so pray for me. Uh, our son Wade has taken his first ministry position. He has joined the staff at Austin Stone Community Church in Austin, Texas. So I can be really, really proud of him and really excited for him and then still just thinking, man, Austin, Texas is so far away. Uh, it's just the way life is, you know, you can feel multiple things at once. 2020 has been like that. There's been all sorts of wonderful things, wonderful ways that God has blessed us. And then I don't have to tell you, 2020 has just been so weird and unpredictable and so many things have been difficult about the year. Uh, Nonetheless, God is good. And Psalm 90 is a reminder of just how good and great he is. It's also a reminder of, as I said, the way we can hold some things in tension. There can be multiple things true all at the same time and multiple things that we can feel all at the same time. And Psalm 90 does a remarkable job of of, of articulating that for us. You ever had kids at the pool or in the bouncy house or maybe at the playground and uh, you've been there for a while and they're starting to get bored and they're starting to just sort of laze about. They are sort of going down the slide but their heart's not in it. They're swinging. They're asking when you're going to go. You know, they're thinking about McDonald's or whatever. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, five more minutes. And when you say five more minutes, what happens? But, you know, kids go nuts. I mean, five more minutes. If you say five more minutes in the bouncy house, all of a sudden the kids are just bouncing. I mean, like, like, like they're just going to go nuts. I mean, just bouncing off the walls, off the ceiling, off the ground. If you say five more minutes in the pool, they're swimming. They're going off the diving board. They're going down the slide. I mean, all of a sudden, it's just that recognition that time is running out. That that recognition that you only have so much more time, there's something about that acknowledgement that helps us understand how precious life is and actually how it is to be enjoyed. Psalm 90 does that. It's a beautiful moment where uh, it's as if the Holy Spirit sticks his head into our lives and screams five more minutes. It's wonderful. Uh, Psalm 90 well, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but this is one of these passages that for me is just in my heart in the King James. So if King James starts coming out, it's not my fault, it's King James's fault. Um, but uh, it's just such a beautiful psalm. Read with me, Psalm 90. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are like a day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. 
We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sins before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a sigh. Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. So teach us to number our days so that we may gain a wise heart. Oh, Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Let us, your servants, see you work again. Let our children see your glory. And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, Make our efforts successful. The King James says, establish thou the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. The word is home. Lord, you have been our home. Is that strange? When you think of the word home, what exactly do you think of? Honestly, uh, the, the old saying is, home is where the heart is. That's kind of the old saying. So understand that there's something very deep, that, that there's some connection with the heart that we associate with, with home, whatever it is that you consider home. My wife, Casey, moved a bunch. She's in a military family. So when, when, when she and I had this conversation this week about this passage, Casey says with home, she thinks about you know, the house we live in now, which she's probably lived in longer than any other house in her entire life. The house we live in now is home. When I think of home, I think of the house I grew up in. I think of my childhood home. I, I don't know what you think of, but, but play along with me. Play along with me. Let's go through the five senses and as we go through the five senses together, I'm just going to ask you to think about home, whatever home means to you, whatever it's a house or uh, your family or even the place you live now, your family now, whatever you consider home. Uh, let's walk through the five senses. Start with, with sight. When you think of home, what do you see? I see the house I grew up in, I, I, I see that little brick house, it's on Woody Ackerson Road. Some of you drive past it to get to your house now. Uh, my mom and dad built that house, I, I see that house. I can still see the view through the windows, front and back. Uh, when I was a kid, I carried a blanket with me all the time, nerd alert. Um, I carried a blanket, uh, it's some of my earliest memories, I, I carried a blanket until it was threadbare. I didn't take it to college or nothing, but when I was very small, I had this blanket, and I used to pull it over my face, and I can still see my view of the world through the threads of that blanket. When you think of home, what do you see? What do you smell? Are there smells associated with, with home for you? Uh, food smells for sure. I, I can smell all kinds of, of, of food. Um, I can still instantly bring to mind the smell of my father coming home from work from the factory. I, I can smell his smell when he would come home from work. Uh, 
We're rednecks. We used to at times keep baby chickens in a box in our utility room. And I can still smell that, that smell. It's the smell of, you know, chicken droppings on newspaper, moist with a, a light bulb for warmth. It's just warm, moist, chickeny kind of smell. I can instantly smell that. Well, what about you? Do you have smells associated with, with, with home? What about sounds, hearing? I can still hear the TV from the other room because back in that day, there was only one TV in the house and, and I can still hear it from my bedroom. I can hear the sound of my mother in the kitchen. My mother used to play piano and just sing songs to Jesus and nobody else. She would just stop and sing and she would cry and worship and it was a beautiful thing. Except that I can also hear my sister, while my mom was playing piano and singing songs to Jesus, my sister would scream, I'm trying to talk on the phone. You know, she was such a delightful teenager, um, screaming at my mother who was singing songs to Jesus, but that, that was my family. My sister and I used to sit in her room and listen to old 45 records. Listen to Papa now, y'all. Old 45 records from the 50s. We knew every word and would sing those songs over and over and over. I can still hear all of those sounds. What do you taste? When you think of home, what tastes come back to my? I mean, I can remember tastes, things I haven't even thought of or eaten in years and years and years. Uh, chuck wagon steaks, whatever those even were. We had them all the time. My mother used to make those. They were wonderful. I haven't had them in a thousand years. Uh, here's one for you old folks. Jello one, two, three. Does anybody remember Jell-O 123? It was a strange chemical concoction where you would pour it into glasses and it would separate into three layers. One, two, three. Get it? They discontinued that. Probably that's why we all have cancer now. We were eating Jell-O 123. But I can still taste Jell-O 123. Medicine? I can taste baby aspirin. They actually tasted really, really good. I can still taste baby aspirin. Um, we used to take some kind of medicine called castoria. David, even what that is? Is that even a thing? What is it? That was a laxative? Yeah, nice. Well, now we know. David's son is our resident pharmacist. Castoria was a laxative. Thanks, Mom. Uh, not only that, we had this emerald green uh, medicine in a bottle, and that was worm medicine, y'all. Like, they used to worm us. Because we were country kids, right? I guess it was necessary. I don't know if anybody's worming their kids anymore. Listen to me, parents. All your kids are wormy, and you don't even care. Uh, but back in the day, I can still taste that emerald green worm medicine that, that, <laughs> that my mother used to spoon into my mouth. Uh, oh, my goodness. Popcorn uh, that my daddy used to cook on top of the stove, you know, in a pan with actual oil and then melted butter and, and salt, man. Uh, that, that's when popcorn tastes good. Can you still taste things like that, you know, when you think of home? What about touch? Uh, what can you still feel? What do you remember feeling, touching? Um, my first dog was a collie named Lassie, and I can still remember the velvet of her ears, you know, feeling her ears. Um, I can remember the, the scratchy kisses from my dad's whiskers as a kid. I can remember that feeling of being carried to bed. 
because that's just awesome. Do you remember being a kid and faking being asleep just to be carried to bed? I still try that in case he never falls for it <laughs> these days. Um, home can mean so much to, to so many different people. I have no idea what comes to your mind, but all of this just rushes back. These are things down, down deep in my heart. Home for me has always been a place of safety and security and, and nourishment. Um, a place where you don't have to try. You're just accepted and loved as you are. That's why when you come home, you immediately you know, get into your sweatpants or your pajamas. Some of you still go to dollar store that way, and I, I encourage you not to. But at home, it's entirely appropriate to, to be comfortable because you don't have to impress anybody at home. And understand, this is what the scripture brings to mind when the psalmist says, Lord, you have been our home. Through all generations, you have been our dwelling place. You, you, you have been our home. Again, I, I remind you that they say home is where the heart is, but they also say you can't go home again. Why do they say that? Because honestly, that home that I remember, that, that safety, that security, that, that unconditional love, I'm telling you, it's all gone. It, it's as gone as Saturday morning cartoons and Jello one, two, three. It's gone. It, it, it's gone. And I can remember those things, and there's a sweetness and a sadness that goes along with remembering those things, but I, I can't ever go back. And, and honestly, if I did, it wouldn't really probably match my memory. There are lots of things I've forgotten, lots of things that I've blocked out. Home is a very complicated kind of symbol. So when the Scripture says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Do you understand what this is saying? It's, it's tapping into that desire, that longing, that memory that, that you have associated with a physical home. But what you have to understand is that your heart has a home that's not of this world. This is what the psalmist is saying. Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world. In other words, you were my heart's true home before I even was, before I was even born. My heart was made for him. My soul finds its sanctuary, finds its safety, its security. You understand? My heart is at home with him, and your heart is at home with the Lord. Your heart has its home, but I'm telling you, my heart's true home is not that brick house out on Woody Ackerson Road. That was my childhood home. Lots of associations and memories there, but for the most part, I can't go back there. It wouldn't be that for me now. So the psalm sort of taps into that, that homeless feeling that we get in life. That longing that we have to be loved, to be safe, to be secured, to be carried, to be fed. But we don't find that here. Your heart has a home that is not of this world. And what the psalmist wants you to know is that your heart will never be at home until it finds its home in the Lord. Do you understand this? Do you believe this? 
Your heart will never truly be at home. There is nothing in this world that can provide that shelter for your heart. Only the Lord does that. Before the mountains were born or ever you gave birth to the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I love that. From everlasting to everlasting. What the psalmist wants to do here is to try to blow your mind, to make you understand the greatness of this God, this God who is your security, your safety, the dwelling place, the sanctuary for your soul. You need to understand something about this God so that you can understand something about yourself, something about your own life. And what the psalmist underlines here is God's eternality. The fact that from everlasting to everlasting, before ever he birthed the earth and the world, he was already God. There's no beginning. There's no ending with him. He just is. He always was. He always will be. Do you understand? He's from everlasting to everlasting God. He just is. So here's what the psalmist does. And it's really, really amazing. Your life can only truly be seen in the context of God's eternity, his everlastingness. You can't even fathom it. You and I can't imagine eternity. We can try to. We use words like everlasting or never ending, but at the same time, we just can't fathom a God who is beyond, outside of, transcendent of all time. Time doesn't apply to him. So when the psalmist says, you know, a thousand years are like a passing day, of course, even that doesn't capture it. He's just trying to make you understand that concepts of time are absurd to a God who is absolutely eternal, everlasting. You can't even imagine it. But you need to try. You need to try to understand this God who is eternal so that you can understand something about yourself. Verse 3, this is where you come in. Speaking to the Lord, you turn people back to dust. What's that mean? What's that mean back to dust? To say that you turn people back to dust implies that once we were dust. Yeah, remember? God, the Garden of Eden, reached down and made the man, the human being, out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. He made us out of dust. And he says to people, return to dust. Return to dust. If God is eternal and everlasting and almighty and all of that, remember, you're dust. You and I are only dust creatures of dust. And he says to us, turn back. Turn back to dust, you mortals. Understand, mortal just is a word that means doomed to die. You're going to die. You're not eternal. I'm not either. Our lives are limited. And this is the difficulty. And this is what I meant earlier when I said that this psalm reminds us that we have to hold some things in tension. This psalm kind of swings back and forth between some real extremes. On the one hand, we were talking about how God is like our home, uh, the, the one where we find our safety, our security, our, our unconditional love, the, the sanctuary for our soul. But in, in the very same psalm, it turns around and says, oh, oh, oh my goodness, our days are filled with pain and trouble. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? All of our days are spent underneath your wrath. Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. What are we talking about? How is he at the same time 
the true home for our heart and also the one who causes us to fear and tremble. Well, understand something. Everything for you, everything for me is wrecked by sin and life's shortness. This is what the psalm underlines. For sin... My heart was created to be at home with the Lord. So was yours. You were created to find your love, your security, your safety, your purpose, everything in the Lord who is your dwelling place. But, but there's something about us. We, we simply will not be at home with him. And, and this is the sin in us. Something about us, although in him we find everything that we need, everything our heart desires, at the very same time, we cannot help that feeling that there's something else out there and we will walk away from him every single time. God's love is enough. God's love is all you need, but you will walk away from his love every single time in search of something better, something else. And I'm telling you, there is nothing better, there is nothing else, but we cannot get that through our thick skulls. And that's the very definition of sin. We refuse to accept our finitude, our, our limits. We refuse to acknowledge that he is God and we are not. We refuse to acknowledge that he is great and we are dust. We want to make of ourselves something great. We want to make of ourselves something separate from him. We want to go out there and see if we can't make a, a house for our heart all by ourselves, and we can't. This is the very nature of sin. This is why no matter how many chances you have, no matter how many ways God blesses your life, no matter how many opportunities he gives you to live a life of joy and meaning and purpose, every single time you will take all the blessings he gives you, stuff them in your back pocket, and then just sit down on them. I mean, this is how we are. We take it all for granted. We throw it away. We simply will not remain at home with the Father. And so that's why it no longer seems like our heart is at home with him. That's why this very same God who loves us and provides everything that our heart needs, once we turn away from him in sin, we don't experience him that way anymore. What we experience is his wrath, his anger, and this becomes the, the sort of uh, note of, of our lives. This feeling that, that, that something's off, this feeling of homesickness, and, and we don't even know what it is that we're longing for anymore. This utter boredom with life, this, this restlessness, because don't you understand, until your heart finds its home with the Lord, your heart is doomed to wander. Your heart will never be satisfied. It's sin. It's, it's just sin. I know that you typically kind of in a childish way think of sin as just, you know, the, the bad things that you do, and you do plenty of bad things, I do too, but, but sin is even more than that, it's deeper than that. It is the orientation of our fallen hearts. It is the orientation of our wayward souls. We turn ourselves away from him, and therefore, we do not experience his love, we sense his wrath. Our, our days, the psalmist says, are filled with pain and trouble. That's not how it's supposed to be, but it's how it is. Everything for you is wrecked by sin. It, it is your problem. Sin is the problem behind all of your problems. Sin. 
Everything for you is wrecked by sin and life's shortness. Life's shortness. It just gets away from us, doesn't it? This is the part that the psalmist just can hardly reckon with. From everlasting to everlasting, from beginning to end, you are God, but you turn people back to dust. For you, a thousand years are as passing as a day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. Sweep people away like dreams. That, you, you ever had a dream and you wake up thinking, did that happen? Did, did that even happen? You know, it, it just goes by so fast. When you sleep, the night just you know, whizzes by. And this is what the psalmist is tapping into. That's what your life is like before God. It just passes away. It's just gone. It's like grass. The psalmist is in the morning, it blooms, it flourishes. In the morning, it seems like you got all the time in the world. I mean, in the morning of your youth, you look out and you think, my goodness, will I ever turn 16? Will I ever turn 18? Will I ever turn 21? Will I ever, ever get married? Will I ever turn 30? And then all of a sudden you look back and you think, what happened to my life? In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it is dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. You understand sin and the shortness of life. You don't have all the time in the world. Your days are numbered. The uh, shortest lifespan in the animal kingdom is uh, the lifespan of this uh, creature here. This is an insect called the mayfly. They live everywhere. They have them. We have them in Kentucky. If you're a fisherman, you'll see them around ponds, usually in the late spring, uh, early summer. The thing about a mayfly is it lives its entire life, entire life cycle in 24 hours, which means... In 24 hours, this insect hatches from an egg. It hatches. It begins to mature. It molts twice. It molts twice. It continues to grow and mature. It will mate. It will lay its eggs. It will die. All in 24 hours. It's just the strangest thing. For you and me, it seems like, you know, oh my goodness, all of that, I mean, you know, like the thing is born, it goes to middle school, it learns to drive, it has its first date, its first divorce, you know, and all of that, and then, you know, it grows old, meets its grandkids and dies, and all that happens in just that much time. I mean, f- from our perspective, that's just like, oh, that cute little precious thing, you know, how pitiful. Uh, its whole life goes by just like that. And I just want to remind you that something like that must be how our lives appear to God. I, I mean... If you say a thousand years are like a day, and if our lives, if we get 80 years, as it says, that's like, what, eight seconds to God? I mean, just understand how very small, how very insignificant our lives are. I mean, we're like a bug on the windshield of life. I mean, this is basically what the psalmist is is saying. Our lives are just so incredibly short, Full of pain and trouble, soon the best years disappear and we fly away. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. So teach us to number our days so that we can gain a wise heart. Something about numbering your days. 
Something about just knowing that you don't have all the time in the world. You don't have all the time in the world. I don't either. I don't know at what point that becomes real to you. But for the psalmist, it boils down to a, 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 a very passionate, heartfelt prayer. Again, the New Living Translation reads as make our efforts successful, which just sounds kind of, kind of dry. King James says, establish the work of our hands, which gets closer to it. The, the, the idea is that once you realize how short your life is, kind of how insignificant you are, that becomes um, hard to take. And so it's as if at the end of this psalm, the psalmist just simply prays out to God, Lord, don't let my life be for nothing. Don't let me live and, and die for nothing. Don't, don't let it just be for nothing. I guess for some of us early on, uh, we are under the impression that everything we do is significant. When, when you're a child and your mom and dad just love you and they you know, take all these pictures of you and your entire first three years of your life are on video you know, because everything you did was just such a treat for them. I mean, you know, they saved every booger in an album for you. I mean, every baby tooth, I mean, everything you ever did, they just saved it. Every picture you drew in Sunday school or first grade, man, was on the fridge. I mean, everything you did was so significant. And there's this period of life maybe where you were thinking that everything you did was really significant. Maybe you would be a ballerina. Maybe you would be an astronaut. Maybe you'd be the president. But At some point, you, you, you come down to earth, and if early on you, you thought that everything you do was significant, there comes a moment when you begin, to, uh, you begin to fear that nothing you do is significant, that none of it matters in, in a big scheme of things, that, that you're going to live, and you're going to die, and you're going to be gone and forgotten. And so the psalmist says, Lord, don't let my life be for nothing. Don't let me live and die and it just be nothing. So quickly, how can you make your life count? How can you live as short as you will live and die and it not be for nothing. I, th I, th I think it's simply this. Everything for you is redeemed by Christ's mercy and limitless love. It redeemed is the key word there. Notice what the scripture says. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love. It's amazing. Uh, even our best years are filled with pain and trouble and yet the psalmist says we can be satisfied every single day, every morning with, with his unfailing love. And we can sing for joy to the end of our lives. Our, our lives can be full of pain and trouble, and yet we can sing for joy. What's going on here? Something is going on here. Something supernatural. 
Something's happening that isn't just, you know, pertaining to the everyday world, the natural world. Because in a life filled with pain and trouble, if I still somehow have satisfaction every day, a sense of being deeply and loved with an everlasting love, if I still somehow have this song of joy for all of my life, there's something else going on here that's coming from outside of myself, outside of my life. And this is the gospel. This is what you have to know. Everything for you is redeemed. It's it's bought back. It's traded. This is the good news in Christ. And this is what the cross of Jesus does for you. All of these days of pain and trouble, notice what the scripture says. Give us gladness in proportion to our former misery. That's verse 15. Gladness for misery. You just get to trade that. This is what Christ does. The misery, the pain, the trouble, understand, it's real. We're not saying it's not real, but the reason you get to sing a song of joy in the middle of it is because Christ is able to take that misery and give to you a heart full of gladness. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Verse 15, he can replace the evil years with good. He takes it all. He can redeem it. He buys it back. The years you've wasted. The, the years that you destroyed, you wrecked your own life, the, the sin that you chased after, do you understand? He forgives you. He buys all that back. He trades that. He takes your evil years and returns back good years. You don't deserve that. That's not what your life is supposed to be. But this is the mercy and goodness of this God we're talking about. This is what Jesus does for you because of his mercy and because of his limitless love. Limitless love. Satisfy us every morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. It's, it's, it's Jesus. So this uh, longing that you feel this restlessness. You know how no relationship has ever been enough for you? How, how you just go from person to person? How many marriages is this for you? I mean, God bless you. How, how many for you? Do you ever wonder why you just can't ever really settle? Job to job, town to town, house to house, church to church. Ever wonder why you're so restless? Ever find yourself and everything gets quiet and, and your heart just kind of panics with fear or guilt? You're the kind of person that's got to play music or the TV or something all the time because you cannot stand to be alone with your own thoughts. I just think you should consider why it is that you can't even be at home in your own skin. Why it is that for all the goodness of life, you just continue to go from trouble to trouble to trouble. Psalm 90 has a, a word for you. Your heart has a home, but it's not in this world. It's not a house made with hands. The true home for your heart is the Lord God who made you. He holds in his hands everything that your heart requires, everything that your soul desires. 
but you got to come home to him. You have to be willing to leave your bondage and your sorrow, your pain and your trouble. You got to be willing to walk away from your sin. You got to be willing to stop trying so hard to do it without him, to surrender. Come home. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run, come home to him. He's been your home since before you were born, before ever he birthed the earth and the world. In his presence, in his love is where you belong. Come home to him. And uh, don't waste any time getting back home to him. Understand what I'm saying? You only have a matter of days. No idea how much time, but you do need to know that time runs out. Come home before it's too late. You pray with me. God, I pray for the spiritually homeless women and men, teenagers and children in the sound of my voice today. God, we often think about it. We discuss it with our therapists. We try to medicate it, Lord, but we've really rarely ever really figured out what our problem is, why we can't be happy, why we never feel loved, never feel worthy. Lord, just help us to finally, once and forever, Lord, just to recognize the truth. And that is just simply our hearts will never be at peace until we find our peace with you, in you. Help us, Lord, to find our way back home to you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming the the distance to find us, to bring us home. Now, Jesus, help us to surrender to your mercy, to receive your grace, to let you love us. Bring us back home to the Father. Lord, forgive us for living as if we got all the time in the world, enough time to get mad and stay mad, enough time to go out into sin and stay in sin. Lord, forgive us for living as if our life itself isn't precious, every day a gift, every breath invaluable. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, today and tomorrow and whatever days we have left to live every single day with the satisfaction of being loved by you and the song of joy that only you can put in our hearts. We pray these things in the name of the Father who calls us home. Amen.